welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. So I have something to tell you all, and uh, I just need to confess it outright. I am a huge fan of Barack Obama and his policies. But on the other hand, I am so deeply impressed with Donald Trump and how he has been such an effective and strong leader thus far. I'm just going to take a picture of your faces (laughs) at this point. So this morning, my sermon is cherry-picked from a book that I recently read called Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. It came highly recommended to me while I was on a pastor's retreat, and I just got around to reading it. Um, a a month ago. As pastors, we are offended a lot, or so we think. And it is safe to say that I have um, successfully offended everyone in this room already this morning. Um, You should have seen the first service. I can't see you as well, but the first service was, they were distraught when I made those. (laughs) So why is that? Thank you. (laughs) Why would my political views be so offensive? And why would they create such a visceral reaction from so many? And those, just so you know, are not my real views, by the way. Okay? Don't be mad at me. I need you to say okay. Okay, thank you. My wife was clear about that. So before I dive into deeper waters, I want to begin with a disclaimer and prayer. And basically, anytime I come up here and preach, it's the same disclaimer. I am preaching this just as much to me as I am to you all. So let's pray. Father, we need you to uh, soften our hearts. We do not simply come here just to reinforce what we already believe. Uh, We also come that your truth might shine light in areas that um, we need lit up. And so we ask that you would teach us, that you would um, give us the power to not only hear your words, but put them into action. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We've all been there. Someone begins a criticism of you with that that key phrase, no offense. So Pastor Dorothy, literally in between these two two sermons, just told me this story about her granddaughter. Um, Pastor Dorothy was buying um, some conditioner, and her granddaughter said, why are you buying those conditioner? And Dorothy's like, well, let me tell you my beauty tips. Uh, shampoo first, and then I do some conditioner, and then it makes my hair look good and all that good stuff. And her granddaughter said, no offense, but it isn't working. <laughs> that was this week. <laughs> Be- <laughs> Being offended has become such commonplace in our culture that a website declared 2014 the year of outrage. And so you can go to any one of the 365 days, click on it, and find out what people were mad about that day. So you can go look at your birthday if you want. It might have been that that you were born. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, So that is why I'm biting off this topic. It seems like being offensive is almost to the point where if you disagree with someone, it's offensive behavior. And I know the the, um, irony that's going to happen today. There are going to be at least a few of you that leave church this morning feeling very offended by the fact that I told you not to be offended. So that's just going to be a reality. And let me begin by clarifying a few things. Being offendable, meaning the way I'm going to be using it this morning is that people upset, annoy, or displease you by the opinions and values they hold, 
their behaviors, or what they have said to you. And a very typical response to this is to become angry or resentful or defensive. The focus of this sermon is to shed light on why we as Christians should not be so easily offended. Nothing I say should should be taken as a license to offend anyone. I don't want to hear about any husbands who went home and said some husband bonehead thing to their wife and they say, hey, Pastor Luke said you're not supposed to be offended. I don't want that to happen. And one more thing, I understand something, all right? This isn't lost on me. The message of Jesus Christ and salvation through Jesus alone is very offensive to a lot of people. And we should still absolutely and unashamedly preach that message, but with gentleness, respect, and love. But that's not what I'm preaching on today. Instead, we're going to consider three things. First, the biblical and real life reasons why we should not be offended. Second, we'll examine the dangers of the so-called righteous indignation. And third, how we become unoffendable, namely cultivating love and humility in our lives. Have any of you heard of the satirical website called Babylon Bee? I know my students have, yeah, okay. It's like a Christian version of The Onion, and the writers at Babylon Bee are not afraid to write articles that ruffle the feathers of just a whole bunch of different types of Christians. And it's all done in good fun, but with with good satire, it's supposed to hold up a mirror to the reader. And so we might all agree that this this headline is funny. During after-church lunch at Applebee's, local Christian scolds waiter for working on Sunday. (laughs) Right? That's pretty funny. I like this next one because I'm not the biggest fan of K-Love, which I know is very offensive to some people. New Christian station K-Rath to emphasize God's justice and his holy vengeance. And then this final one is actually gonna touch a nerve with some people. Man passionate about athletes standing for anthem still doesn't care about neighbors standing with God. Not so funny. That one hurts a little bit more. But this should cause us to consider if this is true in our own lives. And if it is, have we mismanaged our passions and priorities? Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, sin is not sinful in and of itself. I mean, anger, sin is, yes. Anger is not (laughs) sinful in and of itself. But we're not supposed to hold on to it, and that's because it can lead to a whole bunch of sin in our lives. So I'm offended, and you're offended, and we're all offended now. So as Christians, we sometimes think it is our right to hold on to this offense. Let me give you an example that just really grinds my gears. In Romans 13, we are instructed by Paul to obey the government and the laws of the land. And therefore, as a Christian and as a pastor, it is my God-given responsibility and duty to become very agitated when someone does something like this. Did you see that? Did you see that? There was, I'm not even going to address the rolling stop, no. There was no blinker. Like... (laughs) How hard is it to just flick that little thing? And it's so important. It lets people know 
where your huge machine is going, which is important for other people to know. It's, it's right there. I'm just very offended by it. And then what about this one? Oh, 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 every day I drive home, this happens. That guy didn't have a stop sign. And then I have a stop sign, and then he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and then let's just say I get bold and I inch out into the intersection, and then he's like, I'm gonna go now, and then he hits me, who's in trouble? Me, because I had a stop sign, and he didn't. And don't even get me started about slow and the fast lane, people. I'm working on it, all right? I'm working on it. You can see that was just me venting to you all. Actually, the, it might just be best if I move out of downtown. Um, so while we, we won't often admit it, we actually, did you see how excited I got? We like being angry a little bit. Humans are experts at casting ourselves as victims and rewriting narratives that put us in the center of injustices. But what if Christians were known as the people you couldn't offend? Turn in a Bible or an app to Matthew 16. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 822. We're going to begin in verse 24 of Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Right before Jesus tells his disciples these things, he has what could be considered a very strong disagreement with Peter. Jesus had just told Peter and the other disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. So Jesus is foretelling the greatest offense of all time the crucifixion, mockery, and humiliation of the Son of God. And Peter cannot bear the thought of such a thing, and so he takes up Jesus' offense and promises Jesus that he's not going to let such things happen. But back in verse 23, Peter thinks he is doing God's work, and Jesus responds with these words, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So this tense scene occurs directly before this morning's text. Jesus is telling his closest friends that if they expect to follow him, then they should also expect to surrender, to sacrifice, and to lose their earthly status and standing. I told you that my first point this morning would be the biblical and real life lessons why we should not be offended. Our Savior was falsely accused, stripped, beaten, mocked, insulted, spit upon, and nailed to the cross where he suffocated to death. 
He had every right to be angry, and he had all of the power to make things right and fight back. But instead, he willingly and lovingly laid his life down. And then he even forgave his executioners from the cross. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after Christ. Several years ago, I worked for a man who was, to put it simply, a liar. His lying was so constant that I no longer felt safe talking to him alone. And so this is not something that you would typically do with a boss. I, I requested that all of our communication would be done via email so that I had a record of what he was saying. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. He just he kept lying on email, and he didn't even care. So I was just angry, and I was confused. And when I would bring these blatant lies to him, he would admit them, but then he would just say, sorry, and he would say, and Jesus tells you to forgive 70 times 7. And I'd, I wasn't angry. I was, like, very, very enraged at this point, like, blinded by anger. And it ate at me. It ate at me all day and all night. And Brant Hansen writes about this. He calls it the I can't believe that myth. My boss kept lying to me, and every single time I would vent to my wife and I'd say, I, I just can't believe he did that every time. But I wasn't really surprised. It was just what he did. And yet it still deeply offended me and caused an unchristlike response in my behavior and in my own heart. And that leads me to the second part of my first point. There are actual real-life implications to all of this. Being offended is tiring business. It is exhausting, and it affects your mental, spiritual, and even your physical health. I know this to be true firsthand. Your life will become less stressful when you give up your right to anger and offense. Letting, thing go, letting things go actually gives you energy. And there's freedom in forgiveness, not only for the person that you forgive, but maybe even more so for yourself. And also, if you want to be in a genuine, authentic relationship, then prepare to be offended. A lot. We all know the person who joins our group, our workplace, our team, our church, and they're, they're just so excited. They're so happy to be there because their previous job or church was absolutely horrible. And the one before that too. And the one before that as well. Do you think that they're going to soon find fault with your team or with your church? Most likely, yes. And unfortunately, this often will lead them to leave again. I know that it is difficult work to get through the hard stuff, to get through the hard stuff and actually stay. But it is easier than starting over again. And it's much more satisfying. So by now you might be asking, what about righteous indignation? What about justice? What about God's wrath and vengeance? And what about that one time Jesus flipped over the tables? I'm a prophet by nature, so I love truth. And I have this, it's almost an unhealthy relationship with truth. Like when people speak truth, it gets me excited. Like I love truth, guys. And, 
I understand these questions. These are important questions. They're questions I'm still asking myself as I preach this to you. But then I'm reminded. I'm reminded of scripture like this. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It is not our job to correct every wrong. And it's a futile mission anyway. God promises that he's going to handle that. Plus, God knows we aren't even good at correcting ourselves. So what makes us think we're going to do a better job with someone else? And Romans 2 puts it this way. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you so suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? I love the way the book puts it. Quit thinking it's up to you to police people and that God needs you to take a stand. God needs nothing. Quit trying to parent the whole world. Quit offering advice when exactly zero people ask for it. Quit being shocked when people don't share your morality. Quit serving as judge and jury in your own mind of that person who just cut you off in traffic. Quit thinking you need to discern what others' motives are and quit rehearsing in your mind what that other person did to you. It's all so exhausting. If we think it is our, our calling to get offended every time one of God's commands is broken, then we are going to be very angry and very tired. Just walk downtown or just go out to the patio. You're going to be offended a lot. And here's one thing that I've experienced. The output of energy spent thinking and commenting about what other people are doing wrong always leads to diminishing returns. You will rarely affect the change you want to see in another person. It's, it's quite opposite, really. They'll just stop listening to you. When you send out a critical email every week, do you think the person who receives it is going to consider it deeply? Or is it more likely that they will receive feedback from someone who has been proven to be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to encourage? And consider this, that neighbor of yours who doesn't know Jesus and has just had a crisis in their life, do you think they're going to knock on your door if you're the one who keeps ratting them out to the HOA or posting passive-aggressive things on next door? Or do you think they're going to turn to the neighbor that always has a kind word to say, who smiles to them and waves at them? It's an interesting thing that actually happens. Those of us who are really offended and angered, we quickly become the person that's actually offensive. And research has shown that offendable people don't do much of anything at all. A recent study found out that people who join causes online, they rarely take action. They rarely give of their own resources. This is because they actually have convinced themselves that their righteous anger and the fact they've told people counts as something. That's not something. Meanwhile, the people who aren't complaining, who aren't trolling on the internet, and aren't getting those pithy bumper stickers, those are the ones who are on the ground giving of their time, talents, and treasures. 
And plus, the idea of righteous indignation is really hard to get behind because we are so good at deceiving ourselves. So we don't even know whether our anger is righteous or not. Our motives and judgments are riddled with sin. And this might be the most important part about everything this morning. We should stand up to injustice. We absolutely should be a people that stands up to injustice. But our motivation should be love, not anger. And this leads to the final point. We must move against the culture and choose not to be offended, but instead cultivate love, grace, and humility in our own lives. Philippians 2 Verses three and four says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. My young life leader in high school, he never really made me memorize much, many verses in scripture. But then one day he just, he sat down with me at Wendy's and he said, I, I want you to memorize all of Philippians 2. And then he slid across the table this picture, and and someone had drawn it for him for me. And it was a picture of me, like a caricature, and my head was huge, and it was like a balloon. And out of the, the, the clouds was God's hand holding a very sharp needle. And then, a few weeks later, my youth pastor, I don't know if they got together, but he told me to memorize those same verses. So it's, it's pretty clear I had a pride problem, and I had a criticism problem. And you could absolutely say that right now, thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit is still tediously working on those areas in my life. It's a lifelong work of sanctification to truly count others more significant than yourself. Here's another quote from the author, not me. Okay, it's not from me, it's from the author, everyone. Few want to hear this, but it's true, and it can be enormously helpful in life. If you're constantly being hurt, offended, or angered, you should honestly evaluate your inflamed ego. From the author. It hurt me too. Choosing to be unoffendable means choosing to be humble and gracious. Once you've figured out that you can't control other people, once you've fully realized that the world is filled with broken people, yourself included, and once you have abandoned the idea that your significance comes from anything else other than God, then you are growing in humility, and that's exactly where God wants us all to be. In reading the sermon to Lalia, her first feedback was astonishment. Not because how awesome it was, but because... She knows how much I struggle with some of this stuff. And so she asked me, what, what are you going to do about this? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what am I going to tell the church? She's like, no, Luke, what are you going to do about this? Wives. Well, here's what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to focus on, and maybe you want to join me in it. When I get that super passive, aggressive, and critical email, I'm not going to spend hours thinking about it, obsessing about it, and crafting that perfect response. Instead, I'm going to reply, thank you, and I'm going to take what God wanted me to learn from that. I'm actively going to go into situations, and I'm going to say to myself, I'm not going to be offended, no matter what. I'm going to remind myself regularly that God is my defender, and therefore, I do not need to constantly defend myself 
or him. I'm going to think about Dorothy's granddaughter. I'm willing to bet it takes a lot for that little girl to really get under Pastor Dorothy's skin. That is because her grandma adores and loves her. The more I'm able to love, the less I will be offended. And finally, I'm going to focus on the good news. Let's say you just won the lottery for $10 million. You've gone, gotten your big giant check, you fit it in your back seat, you're just, you're pumped up, you got $10 million. And someone cuts you off on your way, way home. Are you gonna be angry? No, you just won the lottery. Every day we wake up knowing that God has sent his son to die for us and we get a free pass to eternal life. What else matters in the grand scheme of things? It's like the Southern ladies say, or at least I think they do. I'm too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> when you are being treated poorly, when you are belittled or insulted, when a person's manners, behavior, or morality are of great offense to you, I want you to remember this. It's like Jesus says to us, you know that person who you find so offensive? I love them. I died for them. And by the way, I see the darkness in you too. But I love you, and I died for you. His kingdom is breaking through, bit by bit. Recognize it when you see it and wonder at it. War is not exceptional. Peace is. Worry is not exceptional. Trust is. Decay is not exceptional. Restoration is. Anger is not exceptional. Gratitude is. Selfishness is not exceptional. Sacrifice is. Defensiveness is not exceptional. Love is. And judgmentalism is not exceptional. Grace is. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask now that um, you would show us how to apply this in our own lives. So we just take a moment to examine our own hearts and to allow your Holy Spirit to do the work that, that you want to do. Jesus Christ, thank you for your example. I'm reminded of even Peter reacting violently when you were arrested and you healing uh, that soldier's ear. You're constantly showing us that you are a gracious and loving God. Help us to pay it forward. Help us to rem remember each and every day what you've done for us and how you did that for everybody. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.